Mist. This morning, we're going to look at a parable, and we're going to watch a YouTube video. <laughs> no. This parable, it's, it's a big one, and we get it twice. The first time around, Jesus kind of throws it out there. The second time around, Jesus explains it. Okay? And the reason why it's so important is because it comes before the rest of the parables in the Gospels. Um, it can be confusing. As you keep pulling back on it, there's layers. Uh, but it is absolutely crucial for us to understand Jesus' ministry, to understand the Gospel, to understand what church is about, what's going on every time a sermon is preached. Um, it's crucial to understand this uh, particular parable. In one sense, the most important parable. I want to take you there in Mark chapter 4. If you need a Bible, you know the drill, raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. Um, Mark chapter 4. Really brief introduction because we're going through a lot of text this morning. I want to kind of put the parable out there and then we'll look at what Jesus has to say about it. You'll remember just by way of context, Jesus uh, just finished uh, rebuking those who, uh, even though they see the truth right in front of them, they don't want the truth. They don't, they reject it. They don't want it. But then there's another kind of people that don't really follow. There's people that they kind of get it, but they don't, they, they want it. They want to follow it, but they don't get it yet. And then he has his disciples, that third group, that they're the ones that they understand it and they get it. Okay, that's the context. Now it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Not stitch and thread, but seeds, right? Oh, not to eat. So a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And verse 10 says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and they said to him, Well, let's stop at verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So it wasn't just the twelve disciples with him. There's a bigger group of people that get what's going on with Jesus. But none of them really get the parable. 
and the humor that I find in this is that it's when, it's when they were alone that they asked Jesus, right? So Jesus is in the boat in front of all the crowds, and he teaches this parable, and the disciples are like, yeah, that, you know? And then when they get in private, what? What, what was that? I don't understand. What are you talking about? I get the sense you're not just teaching us agriculture. It's a story about a guy who's got a really big bag of seeds, so much that he just sows it indiscriminately. I mean, if I'm not good at gardening or anything like that. I, I've not really done any of it, but I don't know if I'd waste seed throwing it on the concrete path, throwing it on the street. Oh, there's thorns there. Throw it there. That's where a lot of birds like to hang out. Eh, feed them. He's just, he's just throwing it everywhere. But it's almost like he's just hoping that, that a seed finds a nook or a cranny somewhere and that it springs up and eventually bears fruit. He just, he's not caring who, where it lands. He just knows that eventually something's going to come up with something. And he's just throwing seeds out there. He's scattering it on soil that's a path, meaning it's, the soil is there, but it's packed down. People walk on it to the point where it's not broken up and everything bounces off of it. So the birds see it there on the path, and they come and they grab it. Easy. Easy pickings. Then you've got soil that is uh, full of rocks, and these rocks don't let it take root, so it springs up a little bit, but it doesn't have depth. The roots can't really get down because the rocks are blocking it, and a plant or a crop without roots isn't going anywhere, and so it springs up, but it has no depth. So the sun comes out, it's it, there's no water in it, the roots weren't able to get water up into the plant, it withers, it dies. That might have been exciting for the sower at first, but it dies and falls away. Then verse 7, some seeds, they fall among thorns, and the, but the thorns, they're, they're competitive, right? They grow up around it and they choke it so that it doesn't yield grain. And so at this point in the story, you're like, man, this is a really, this is a fail. <laughs> he threw it on this first soil, that didn't work. He threw it on a second kind of soil, that didn't work. He threw it on a third kind of soil, that didn't work. And you're thinking, maybe you want to go into a different business, you know? This isn't working out for you. But then... Finally, that fourth soil, it produces grain. And if it just produced a little grain, maybe you'd still want to quit that job and do something else or just say, look, we need to find out another way to eat because this isn't working. But it didn't just produce a little bit of grain. He uses words like growing up and increasing and yielding. He could have just used one of those words, but he's, it's like a cascade of words that let you know that this was super successful, some 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. A hundred times what he sowed, I don't even know if that's possible, but the seed that he sowed, he'd got 30 times return on it, 60 times return on it, a hundred times return on what he sowed. It more than compensates for all the seed that was scattered everywhere else. So there's the story. And people out there in the crowds are like, that's, that's nice. Can you heal me now? You know, they're, they're holding their, their sick uncle on a mat, and like, uh-huh, seeds. Okay, are you going to come out of that boat and touch my uncle now? Because that's what the crowds are there for, right? We've learned that. The disciples that are with them, they're not just there for the healing, and they're not there like the Pharisees and the scribes to just find a way to rebuke them and arrest them. They're there to learn, but it's kind of like how you would act if I just sat here and taught you about gardening. And here's how to plant this. What you should do with the tomato plant is put this thing around it, and it kind of helps it out, but don't put it with this. 
this, you want the water to trickle on it. You don't want the water to, don't hit it directly with the hose because that's that kind of plant. This kind of plant, you want it in the shade for this long, okay? All right, guys, let's go home. You'd be like, well, I don't get it, right? That's how the disciples were. I don't understand. What? You're talking about repent and the kingdom and the gospel, and then suddenly it's about seeds and paths. So when they get Jesus alone, they ask him in verse 10, they ask him about the parables. Obviously, he gave a bunch of parables, but this is the one that Mark wants to focus on. This is the most important one. How do we know that? Verse 11, Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So before Jesus explains the parable and explains what it means, He's, he's not really rebuking them. He's just saying, guys, if you don't get this parable, you don't get any of the parables. None of the parables are going to make sense to you if you don't understand how this one makes sense. And he quotes this really interesting passage that we tend to ignore in Christianity, right? Do you remember that passage in Isaiah where Isaiah sees the Lord on the throne, but he doesn't really see him, right? Because all he can really describe is the hem of his garment, the train of his robe that fills the temple. And he can kind of peek that way and kind of peek that way. And, and through the glory and the splendor, he can make out these angelic beings that are covering their faces with their wings. And with another set of wings, they're flying. And another set of wings, they're covering their feet, let alone not being able to touch the ground. The Lord's not even going to cast a gaze on their feet because he's so holy. And then he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't speak for you. So an angel flies and takes tongs, takes coal from the altar, cleanses him, atones, right? And now he's ready to be sent. The Lord says, who's going to speak for me? Here I am, send me. The cleansed lips, the atoned for lips. Great, Isaiah. Now we love that passage. We hear sermons on that passage all the time. But then God gives Isaiah the sermon he's going to give. And it's, it's, it's not a successful one. It's not a sermon any preacher would ever want to lead out with because he's saying, you're going to preach to them and they're not going to hear it. You're going to preach to them in such a way that they're going to reject it, not understand it. So go preach. That doesn't sound very exciting. Anytime you tell somebody, here, go do this, it's going to be a complete fail. Please go do it. Who's going to go do that? But that was Isaiah's task in that chapter, to go preach a sermon that no one's going to listen to. And God tells them why they're not going to listen to it. I don't want them to listen to it right now because, because of judgment that I'm going to bring. So I don't want to get, on, get too far down that trail, but that's what Jesus is quoting here in verse 12. He's quoting that little section that Isaiah got. He's going to preach a sermon that's not going to work because God wants them to, to see it but not perceive it. He wants them to hear it but not understand it lest they turn and be forgiven. He doesn't want them turning and being forgiven right now. So when you look back up to this point in the chapter, you know, when Jesus heals a person and tells them, don't tell anybody. And then when demons start proclaiming, he's the Holy One of God, and the first thing Jesus does before he even exercises them, casts them out, he says, shut up. Right? Jesus is always silencing people that are proclaiming his identity at this stage. So, He's quoting Isaiah to teach the disciples that right now, 
especially because of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in chapter 3, people that they see it right in front of them and they still reject it, it's almost like a judgment. They're going to get the word, but they're not going to get the word. They're going to get sermons, but they're not going to understand it. They're going to see it right in front of their face, but they're not going to have access to it. And that's what they get. Because when I gave it to them clear, they didn't want it. So I'm not going to waste time teaching them clearly. But I still need to teach my disciples. So I'm going to teach my disciples in a way that they can get it because they have an insider's knowledge and understanding of it, but people looking from the outside won't be able to understand it. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. There's a lot of preaching books out there that say, you've got to use a lot of stories and a lot of analogies because that's what Jesus did. No, Jesus was trying to hide the truth from people. We're supposed to expose the truth to people. That doesn't mean we can't use stories and analogies. It just, it just means that these, these, um, <laughs> these books, sometimes they miss Jesus' point, why he was using the parable. He's intentionally trying to keep people out. That's weird, right? Jesus intentionally trying to keep people out at this stage. It's people that are the crowds. It's people that already, the fact that he's healing people, it just makes them want to get healed. It doesn't make them think he's the Lord and I want to follow him. They just want healings off of him. They want comfort out of him. They want him to fix their problems. They don't want him to be Lord. They just want him to be the problem fixer. And you got the scribes and the Pharisees that they have their religion, they have their way of doing things, people respect them, and you're going to rob us of that by turning it on its head. We don't want you to take this from us. And they're worshiping their system and the power that they've attained through that system instead of the one that the system's supposed to be about. So he's blocking them with these parables. That's why he said in verse 9, it's those who have ears to hear that will be able to hear it. How do you get ears to hear? They need to be granted to you. He says in verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So there's an inside group and there's an outside group. The outside group, they can hear the parable. It's not that they don't understand the grammar. It's not that they don't understand there's a sower and there's seed and how agriculture works. They understand all that. They just don't get the point. The insiders will get the point. Jesus is going to reveal that to them because to them the secret has been given. So he explains it to them. What does this parable mean? Now, Jesus has been very selective, and this touches on the point that was made earlier in chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Jesus went up to the mountain and he called to those, those, he called to him those whom he desired, right? So Jesus is being selective among the crowds, the ones that are going to get it, and he calls them to himself, and those are the inside, that's the inside group. And now he explains to them, the inside group, what the parable means. Here we go, verse 13. May the Lord give us ears to hear it. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. This is the gospel that Jesus has been preaching. And those, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Remember those seeds that bounce off and the birds come and snatch them? When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Satan alive and active today? Do you know anybody? No matter how, you just preach them and they just don't want it. They just don't want it. They don't want to hear it. That's satanic. I'm not saying they're possessed. I'm just saying Satan, that's what he's about. That's what he's doing. He's, he's very quietly... And, and perceptively moving in people's hearts to block them from the truth. That's what Jesus said. 
How does he do that? Same way he did it in the garden. God didn't really say, that's not true. There's other ways to do it. You can do it. You don't need the cross. You could, the cross is nice. Jesus is cool, but there's other. You can, you can strive. You can work. You can do it. So every other religion is works-based, right? And a works-based religion is telling you, you can do it. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're able to do it. Christianity is the sole voice that's saying, you cannot do it. You can try, you can hem, you can haul, you can try to grind it out. You can't grind it out. You don't have enough. You cannot do it. So Jesus had to come, not to fill the 10% that you were missing, but the 100% that you were missing. It's a bleak beginning of the gospel. It's a bad news that gets you to the good news. So, path are people that just aren't there to receive it. Satan deceives them. There's some lie. There's some thing that causes them to reject it. We know about that, but the next two soils are tricky. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Why do we say that's tricky? Well, it's tricky because the one where the seeds bounce off, those are the obvious rejectors of the gospel. But there's two categories of people that don't obviously reject the gospel. They seemingly embrace the gospel with joy. They love it. They love singing the songs, and they love going to church, and they love being a part of it. They, they have a Bible at home. They, maybe they read it. You know, they, they do Christian-y things, at least at first, and they endure for a little while. But then, tribulation or persecution, trials, trouble, suffering, or suffering at the hands of those who are that are after you, specifically because you're a Christian, these things that arise on account of the word. In other words, once they realize that being a Christian actually costs you something, they fall away. Our TV channels are filled with preachers that are telling you that the Bible sitting in your lap is your key to a bigger house, a nicer car, a better life, would people immediately receive that with joy? Yeah. It's not the true gospel. So what are they excited about? If you meet a new Christian or someone just tells you, I just, I just became a Christian, these are some kind of questions you can ask. That's great. Do you love it? I love it. What do you love about it? Oh, I love the friendships. I love the fact that there's something to keep my kids around. You know, I had morals growing up. I want them to have morals. Why not Christianity? I like the little gift bag they gave me on the way out. You know, there's a lot of things to like about Christianity, but that's not the gospel. So they liked the packaging. They liked something about it. And maybe they thought this is the way to do it. Maybe they think of teaching like God works all things together for good to those who love him. Oh, but good in their mind is stuff and comfort, not tribulation and persecution. What do they do with verses like James when he says, count 
trials as joy. You should take joy in the trials. But this is the reverse. The trial exposes that their joy is not true joy. So tribulation and persecution expose what kind of joy you have. Do you have joy in the gospel or joy in comfort? It's one of the two. And when trials and tribulation hit your life, if your joy is in comfort, you'll have no faith. Because your faith was in the stuff that God gives you, the stuff that you expect out of him. But if your joy is in the gospel, that you do not deserve to be with God, but because Jesus suffered, he's made a way for you to be with God, no matter what pain you experience, no matter what disease you get, no matter what job you lose, no matter what level of discomfort, your joy is Christ himself and not something you get materially from Christ. Then no matter the persecution or the tribulation, your joy isn't robbed. And that's the one that endures. Third soil. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. There you have another category of those who look like they're Christians at first. Something is springing up there that gets choked out later. It's not just a seed and there's ground. Something is sprouting. It hasn't gotten to the stage of producing fruit yet, but the, it looks like a crop. It looks like a plant. Right? But it turns out that it's not. What happens? Jesus says, the thorns that choke out these kinds of people are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Those things relate to one another. Most of us probably are not overtly desirous to become rich. Maybe some of us are, and we fall for the pyramid schemes, and you know we, we're trying to chase the quick, easy dollar. But most of us are like, look, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to own a skyscraper and fly around in jets everywhere. What do we want? We want comfort. We just want our kids to not be in need. We just want our kids to have better things than we had or not to suffer the way we suffered if we suffered. And we just want comfort. But then there's the cares of the world. How are you going to meet the next bill? Where's that next paycheck going to come from? Oh, they just hired somebody younger. They just hired somebody younger. You're old and you're slow. You're going to get taken out. What are you going to do to pad yourself? What are you going to do to make sure that you get food on the table See, that's an anxiety and that's a care and it's all on you, right? I've got to produce it. I've got to go do it. I've got to get it. And so that starts you down the wrong path. Now, Jesus said, don't be anxious, right? God cares for the sparrows. He's going to care for you. Do not be anxious. But we do it anyway because we see it as things that we need to produce. It's not necessarily a desire to be the richest person in the world. It starts with the cares of the world and then there's the deceitfulness of riches. If you just had riches, those cares of the world would go away. If you just had more stuff, those cares would go away. If you just had more things, those cares would be taken care of. So a better job, better salary, more stuff, more technology. More technology will solve it. Yeah, right. So they're deceived that they can find answers to the cares of the world in stuff 
riches and desires for things enter in and they choke the word. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You start serving mammon, you can't serve God. And these people, they really aren't serving God. They're serving stuff and things to answer the cares of the world. So it gets choked out and it proves unfruitful over time. In time, it gets choked out and it proves unfruitful. Now, we can just pause there a second. And we see that this is about the word going out. And some people, it just bounces off them and they don't even think about it for another second. Other people, they really like it and they receive it with joy. But then, wait a minute, I'm going to get persecuted for believing this? And then they fall away. And there's another group of people that they seem to accept it. But over time, they just let the cares of the world creep in and they think chasing things and material is going to be the answer. And they get choked out. And for many churches today, the answer to that problem of those soils is to preach a more comforting message and have a more comfortable church, sing songs that are more comforting to people, to try to ease their anxiety. That's not Jesus' answer. He's not saying the problem was he sowed it wrong, he sowed the seed wrong, he didn't do it long enough, he didn't do it smart enough he didn't till it first there's no tilling here he's scattering and the tilling is somebody else's job but the answer is not to try to explain the gospel in a way where there's no bite to it i've been criticized not harshly and usually not to my face but for preaching messages that are a little too hard if we want to grow the church That's probably true. I think it would be much easier to grow the church. I have, I have, each year my respect is lessened for those that have humongous churches that when they built it off of a comfort, comfortable gospel. They're going after the soils that don't work. They're going after the ones that will receive it with joy because they'll fill the seats. They're going to snatch us up and receive it with joy. If we just kind of Tone down the sin stuff. Tone down the you can't do it stuff. Why do you always have to emphasize that? Why can't you once in a while tell us that we're good enough? That we should look in the mirror and tell ourselves, doggone it, people like me. You know, why don't you, why don't you do that once in a while? Why does it always have to be a punch in the face? Well, I hope that the messages that you hear at Christian Fellowship Church cut you, yes, but take the tumor out and stitch you up before you go home. Which is much better than coming in and going, oh, no, 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 no tumor, no tumor. Well, can I see the x-ray? <laughs> Don't worry about the x-ray. We're not about x-rays here. You know, you x-ray, tumor, you tumor, me. Forget tumors. We're just going to be a family. Let's go play kickball. We're up here with x-rays. That's in your heart. And it needs to come out. I don't want to do the surgery and it hurts and I got, my life is going to be upside down. Yeah. Persecution is going to come and tribulation and it's not going to be a comfortable life. Correct. But it will be eternal. And you'll understand joy that lasts, joy that is true and joy that can't be robbed based on circumstances. So you don't want to build a church. We don't want to build a church going after people on the path, people in the rocks, people in the thorns. 
because there's a fourth soil. And don't get me wrong, it's not that we don't care about those people, but those people need to become the fourth soil in order to receive the word. Let's look at it, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, which is an amazing return on the seed sown. This is the only group that hears the word and accepts it and bears fruit. Now, the first soil says they received it. What's the difference between receiving and accepting? Nothing much, but Mark changed the word just so you get that there's a difference here. Grammatically, there's not much of a difference between the word receive and the word accept, but he's, he's switching it on you to, so you understand there's something different going on with the fourth soil that wasn't going on with the first soil. They received it in a sense, but they didn't really accept it. This is the group that hears it, and they accept it, and they bear fruit. It's hard to see in the English if you're reading in the Greek, even though verb here has a different tense to it. The other soils, they heard it kind of past tense, like it passed, they heard it. They heard it at a point in time in the past. And here he uses a present tense, they are hearing They're hearing. That's why when I gave that book away, I said we need to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. It's not something you leave back in the past. We're always hearing it. We stay in it. That's how fruit is produced, staying in that word of the gospel. So this fourth group, they are a soil that hears it and accepts it, and they bear fruit. But what happens when persecution and trials come? Well, they'll come, but they don't get choked out by it. Do they ever get tempted to desire things and stuff? Yeah, they get tempted, but they don't get choked out by it. They don't get burned up by it. They accept it, and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100. And I like how Jesus puts that, some 30, some 60, some 100, because we would be the type to be like, are you bearing fruit? How much fruit are you bearing? Not enough. I don't think you're a fourth soil. That's not the point of the parable. Some of us grow a lot. Some of us grow, you know, a little bit. Um, some parts of the world, the kingdom expands at a more rapid pace than other parts of the world. There's different ways that it expands, but it does expand and it does grow. And someone who claims to be a believer and there's no growth at all, it doesn't matter if you have a baptism certificate. It doesn't matter if some pastor at some point or some camp counselor around the bonfire led you through a prayer and told you you're a Christian. If there's no fruit at all, you're not the fourth soil. Because the fourth soil, by definition, bears fruit. There's life change happening there. And it's very different than the others that immediately look like they're Christian, and then it turns out that they're not. So this fruit grows up, it increases, and yields according to verse 8. And the key to this passage is that middle portion where Jesus explains why he's doing this. He's explaining that the gospel will bear fruit in those who truly accept it. Who are the ones that truly accept it? Well, the ones to whom the secret is revealed. See, when you're, when you're casting seed and you're explaining the gospel to people, you might be tempted to think, ah, if it didn't work, right? You're like, I didn't explain that good enough. I, maybe, maybe I need a better verse. And maybe I need... We shouldn't have met at Starbucks to talk about it. Maybe we should meet in a maybe we should be on a walk. That's the trick. 
There's no trick. There's no trick. When the light bulb comes on for somebody, someone turned that light bulb on, but it wasn't you. It wasn't your tactics. It wasn't your skills. It wasn't your ability to argue or convince them that the gospel is better. Now, we should be presenting it. We're supposed to cast seed. But you notice that there's no emphasis on the skill of the sower. In fact, as we started out, he's kind of a stinky sower. He's, it's indiscriminate. He's like, fa, fa. He's just throwing seeds all over the place. It's not about a particular skill that the sower needs. The power is not in the sower. The power is in the seed. And that seed is the word of God. And if it bounces off of somebody, it's not because you didn't present it well enough. If it gets choked out, it's not because you didn't present it well enough. But something has to happen on the inside of the person. Their soil of their heart needs to be tilled. God does that work. That's in this passage. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 11 To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they can hear it but don't get it. So Jesus is being selective, not just who his his posse is going to be. He's being selective on who he's going to reveal it. Lift the blinds and let the sunlight in for the first time in their lives. Jesus is the one that does that. So it's encouraging it's encouraging because the salvation of your loved ones is not on you the ones that you care deeply about and you're hoping that they turn out to be a fourth soil that they get it one day and they still don't get it they don't want it and you're just hoping that they get it it's not on you and guys that's a big relief go out there and spread the word well i'm scared they may not listen They probably won't. Three out of four of them won't. Your job is to scatter the seed. Well, which one should I scatter? Well, be like this dude. Just just throw it. You know, just throw the seed. Explain it to people. Explain to people why you go to church every Sunday. Why you have a Bible sitting on your desk. Right? Why your life has been changed. Why you got baptized. Why you eat a little cracker and a little juice. Why do you do that? Explain that to people. Just throw it out there. And let God make his selections. Another encouraging piece about this, if you're in here this morning and you're going, well, maybe I'm not selected because you're talking here and I'm just wondering when it's going to finish because I really don't get what in the world you're talking about. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? If you're like, oh, shut up, I want to go to lunch. I I don't know what I can tell you. You'd feel like, I don't really get it. I'm, I'm, I to, I don't, I'm not totally understanding everything, but I want it. There's something there that I want. I don't want to be the fake one. I don't want to be the one that gets choked out. I don't want to be the one that doesn't last. I want to be the one that lasts, but I know I can't do it. How am I supposed to get it? Man, you're in the right spot. Because verse 10, you'll notice in verse 10, who are the ones that Jesus reveals the secret to? When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him, And then he gave it to them. Jesus didn't instigate it. He, I mean, he kind of did. But he's waiting for them to realize that ha- they have this question about this parable. And then when they get alone with him, they're like, Jesus, what does it mean? I want to know. And Jesus doesn't go, no. You have to sit there and guess. I'm going to keep you on the outside too. No, who's he keeping on the outside? The people that are like the Pharisees? 
no matter how many miracles Jesus does, they don't care who Jesus is as long as they stay number one in their own lives. The people that just want to be healed, bringing people for healing, Jesus wants to heal them, but he's got to get in his boat and create some distance. And now he's going to teach to them in parables. Look, you guys don't get it. The kingdom is not about healing. The kingdom is not about comfort. The kingdom is not about fixing things in your life all the time. It's about something else completely. Let me give it to you in a parable that you don't understand. Then there's another group that come and say, I know I don't get that. I don't understand it, but I want to understand it. I want it to be revealed to me. Will you reveal it to me? And Jesus doesn't turn them down. He goes, yeah, here's how it goes. So if there's something in your heart where you desire to know, you desire to get the gospel, if you ask him, he'll give it to you. So we look at this passage, and it's, I think, on one hand, a comfort to the church, comfort to congregations that are called to scatter seed, called to be witnesses of the gospel, and we tend to be scared of it because we feel like it's all on us. It's not all on you. God tills the soil, and he does what he wants with it. For those of us who feel like we're on the outside still, there's hope for you. The point of this parable is not that people who have rocky or thorny soils cannot be saved, He's saying the only way to be saved is for God to remove the rocks and the thorns for you. That God does something in you where he reveals the secret of the kingdom to you. And then through God's work in you, he bears fruit in your life. The point of the parable is not that conversion is impossible. The point of the parable is that conversion is possible. If you ask him for it, if you scratch and claw to get it from the outside in, you'll never get it. If you surrender to him and say, I can't, I will be choked out. There's too many rocks. There's too many thorns. The sun is going to dry me out. I will not be able to make it. Will you reveal to me the secret? God bursts into your life. The fact of you're asking that question is already God working in your heart. So I want to encourage our believers to get out there and spread seed indiscriminately and trust that God is going to select who he's going to select. Leave that between them and God. How does it work between free will and sovereignty? Leave it between them and God. Your job is not to figure out free will and sovereignty. Your job is to get the gospel out there indiscriminately. You're not there examining which soil is which. Some of those rocks are underneath. Some of those thorns are deceptively, you know, present in the soil. You can't tell they're there. You just throw the seed. and Let God handle the work of the gospel. Those of you that feel like you're on the outside, do like verse 10, come and ask him. Come and ask him, and he'll reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we enter into this new year that we will think about those in our lives who don't know the truth, don't understand the gospel, that we would explain it to them, that we would try our best to be clear, be fluid, be persuasive, but to understand that it's not on our wit or cunning, crafty logic that we just give it to them plain, give it to them straightforwardly, and allow you to do the work in their heart that's necessary. And for anyone in here this morning who doesn't have that yet, we ask that they would come, they would ask, they would seek, knock, and trust that you will open the door to them. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and close in the